0: My Govanen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek and in this video I'm gonna go over the actual rings of power in the Lord of the Rings. Now the rings of power have, like many things in the lore of Middle-earth, a slightly contradictory history because Tolkien was kind of constantly shifting his conception of things, but it's not nearly as contradictory as some of the other things that you could find. So there's a pretty consistent picture of what happens to them, what where they come from, how they're made, that sort of thing. So I'm gonna start with their creation and kind of their general characteristics, talk about their history of who possessed them and how that changed, and get into their powers, both general and specific to each different type of ring. So let's get started. Now the story of the Rings of Power begins in roughly the year 1500 of the Second Age. At this point, Sauron is pretending to be a good person and Gandalf even hints that in some way maybe he even thought of himself as a good person in the sense that he was trying to achieve what he considered to be good ends and wasn't just an outright tyrant. But one way or the other, he basically convinces the elven smiths in the realm called Eregion to kind of join him in in learning the craft of ring making, so that he can use that to ensnare them and thereby increase his overall power and achieve his goals. So Celebrimbor, who... This is where some of the history of the lore gets a little contradictory. Celebrimbor, in the Silmarillion understanding, is the grandson of Feanor through his son, Curufin. There's also some indication in the Unfinished Tales that he was actually a smith of Gondolin, not related to Feanor. You know, you could pick which one you want to go with, but either way, he's considered to be, if not the greatest after Feanor, at least one of the greatest smiths and artificers of all elves after Feanor. So, he is the leader of the elven smiths in Eregion, and he's the one who achieves the greatest skill in ring making. Of all the ring making there are rings besides the rings of power that are known as the lesser rings and that becomes important a little bit later on because they in some sense are like the one ring because one of the things that makes the great rings unique is they all have their own proper gemstone. The proper gemstone differs by ring and the only details we have are on the three elven rings but the lesser ones are all unadorned. They're just simple rings, and that's the way the one ring is, of course. Nevertheless, Kelbrimbor ends up making, and along with the other elven smiths, uh, many different rings, and the rings of power in particular are, of course, the three elven rings, the seven for the dwarves, and nine for men. And then, of course, Sauron himself makes the one ring. Now, according to Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings, and Elrond as well, Celebrimbor and the Elves are the only ones who have anything to do with the Elven Rings, whereas Sauron played some role in the forging of the Seven and the Nine. So that's why the Elven Rings are considered more or less safe and not tainted by Sauron's power. So that's the beginnings of how this gets going. About ten years after the creation of the three elven rings is when Sauron forges the one ring to control them all, and that's when the elves realize that they've kind of been betrayed, and that sets off the wars of the Second Age that culminate in the Battle of the Last Alliance that we see in the prologue to the Lord of the Rings movies. Now, the interesting thing about the three rings that I mentioned before, they each have their own stone, as do the seven and the nine, but we don't know what those are. The three have a sapphire for Vilya, the Ring of Air, which is called the Mightiest of the Three. Although there again, there's a little contradiction in the lore because in the Unfinished Tales it says that Ninia, the one given to Galadriel, is actually the Mightiest. That is called the Ring of Adamant. Adamant is an archaic way of saying diamond, so probably it's just a diamond, but it's, you know, it's a mythological stone as well, so it could be, he conceived it as something different. And then the third, Narya, the Ring of Fire, which is the one that Gandalf held, is a ruby. Again, we don't really know much about the Seven or the Nine in terms of what stones they had. We just know that they did have stones. This comes out of the Council of Elrond because Gandalf is making the case for how they know that the One Ring is, in fact, the One Ring. They know it's not one of the Three, the Seven, or the Nine because it doesn't have a gemstone. So that's kind of the background of the making of the rings and their kind of general appearance and such, let's kind of trace the history of the possession of the different rings through the Second and Third Ages. So starting with the Three Rings, when Celebrimbor and the other elves of Eregion realize that Sauron is about to make war to recover the rings, they, well he rather, Celebrimbor, decides to disperse the elven rings to keep them safe. He gives the Ring of Adamant, Ninya, to Galadriel in Lorien. And he gives the other two, Vilya and Narya, the rings of air and fire, to Gilgalad, who is at that time the High King of the Noldor and the last King of the Noldor in Middle-earth. Before Elendil and uh, Gilgalad set out on the War of the Last Alliance, Gilgalad gives the ring of air, Vilya, to Elrond, who keeps it for the rest of the duration of Elves in Middle-earth. And he gives the Ring of Fire, Narya, to Cirdan the Shipwright. Both of these uh, go with Gilgala to the, the final battle and are there when Elendil and Gilgala actually destroy Sauron, and they keep their rings until Cirdan eventually gives his to Gandalf whenever Gandalf arrives from the west in about the 1000th year or so of the Third Age. So, for a long time, Círdan held that, and we don't exactly know what he did with it. Elrond and Galadriel, of course, used their rings to preserve their respective realms in, in a state that is downright magical by mortal standards, at least. So that's the history of the three rings in their possession. The seven were given, unclear as to when, but given at some point to the seven dwarf lords. There are seven houses of the dwarves. uh, The ones that we're most familiar with in The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit are Durin's folk, but there are seven total families, and each of them got one of the rings. And of those, four were eventually destroyed by dragons, or consumed by dragons is the actual phrase used, whether that means actually destroyed or just eaten and lost, who knows. Um, But then the other three were eventually recovered by Sauron. The last of those was the one held by Thorin's, ancestors, and eventually, of course, Sauron captures Thrain, and Thrain is forced to give up the last ring before he is eventually, he dies in captivity, basically. So that's what happens to all the dwarven rings. The nine rings, the history of them is not quite so clear, because a lot just isn't said about the nine rings in most of the lore. The only thing that we know for sure and this even is just from the Unfinished Tales, so again, it's probably a little bit of a shifty ground, but what we can figure out from the Unfinished Tales is that when Aregion is overrun by Sauron in his war, he takes the Nine Rings, so presumably they never really left the keeping of the elves and smiths in Eregion until Sauron took them. Sauron then, of course, later gives them to nine men who become the Nazgul. Incidentally, it's also at the time that uh, Sauron takes a Reggie and he captures Celebrimbor, and it's by torturing Celebrimbor that he learns where the seven rings were bestowed. That's how he finds out about those. So that's how he ends up knowing where to get the three that he does get. And of course, he doesn't get all seven because four of them were consumed by dragons. So, and then, of course, the one ring, the one that's most important, we know a little bit about its history already. Uh, if you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings at all, but, of course, Sauron originally has it. Sauron makes his war. In the War of the Last Alliance, he is finally defeated by Elendil and Gilgalad. This is different than in the movie. If you've seen the movie, you get the idea that Isildur, after his father is killed, cuts Sauron's finger off, and that's what defeats Sauron. That's not really the way it happens. Elendil and Gilgalad actually defeat Sauron, and then they both die in the process... Isildur comes along and cuts the ring from Sauron's dead hand. So that's how he obtains the ring. Then of course he ends up taking it, or plans to take it, to the North Kingdom of Arnor and set up his kingship there, which is where Elendil had been. But he's ambushed at the Gladden Fields, and I've actually got a video all about the Gladden Fields disaster. There's a lot of stuff in the Unfinished Tales on that. I'll link to that video in the description. He loses the ring in the Gladden Fields when he tries to escape by swimming in the river Anduin. The ring slips from his finger. He is of course killed. Later on, many hundreds of years later, Diagol ends up finding the ring in the bottom of the river. Sméagol, who of course we know as Gollum, kills Diagol for the ring. And then of course he goes and hides out in the Misty Mountains for another many hundred years until he finally loses it to Bilbo, who then passes it to Frodo, and that brings us to the Lord of the Rings. So that's the possession history yeah. of the One Ring. So that's the possession history of all the Rings of Power to the extent that we can get information. Now, I may be missing some information because there's the Lord of the Rings lore on the rings is pretty scattered across a bunch of different stuff, and I haven't read all of it recently, but this is... I'm pretty sure most of it. I'm getting most of my information from the Unfinished Tales and the Lord of the Rings itself. Mm. So there may be some other stuff out there, but uh, I don't think I'm missing much. At any rate, that's the possession history. There is one other minor note I should make here, which is Mm -hmm. that it's unclear after the the Nine are taken by Sauron. You get a hint in the Council of Elrond that the Nine are actually kept by the Nazgul, but in one of his letters, I think it's one of his Mm -hmm. letters, it may be in a different writing, Tolkien mentions that Sauron himself keeps the Nine and uses that as a means of controlling the Nazgûl. You know, they're not necessarily contradictory because when Gandalf says that the Nine the Nazgûl keep, maybe he's just referring to the fact that they're, you know, held kind of by proxy by the Nazgûl. Unclear. So, at any rate, I just wanted to throw that little caveat in there. Now let's talk about the general powers of the rings and then I'll move into the specific powers of each set. Most of what we know about the general powers of the rings are derived from the first chapter that we really get any indication of what the book is going to be about. It's the Shadows of the Past, where Gandalf is basically telling Frodo what he's learned and what dangers they're facing. And in that chapter, he makes reference to the rings of power as a whole much more often than he makes reference to the One Ring. And in that chapter, he mentions the fact that basically all of them are indestructible, essentially. He says that they could possibly be destroyed by Dragonfire. So, you know, maybe dragons can actually destroy the rings. Maybe they can't. He's not really clear on that. But he says that at that point, there's no dragon strong enough left that could do it anyway. And at any rate, he says that even Dragonfire couldn't destroy the One Ring. So the One Ring's a little bit above and beyond the other rings in that regard. Another thing that he says is, of course, that you can use them, at least as a mortal, to become invisible. This makes sense because we know that the elven rings are worn by their keepers and that doesn't turn them invisible. But mortals who wear at least the one ring, we have direct experience that that does turn them invisible. And he mentions the fact, fact, of course, that worn for long periods of time to use to become invisible, they will basically turn the wearer invisible permanently, causing them to fade, which of course is what happens to the Nine, the Nazgul. Another one is all of them have a tendency to be found. This is one that we tend to think of as just being a, a property of the one ring because it's the only one that we really have direct experience of, but Gandalf seems to attribute it to all of them. He says these rings have a way of being found. He also says of all of them that it's very hard for the Keeper to give them up. Now, one wonders how much that really applies to the others, especially the three elven rings, which were never even touched by Sauron. But there's probably at least some degree to which that is true of all of them. How strong that is in comparison with the desire to keep the one ring, who knows. Uh, But that's kind of the general powers of all the rings. You've got invisibility, invisibility rather, You've got the indestructibility and you've got the tendency to be found. Of course, they can also the immortality aspect as well. He mentions the fact that they prolong life, and he seems to attribute this to all the great rings as well. So presumably if Gollum had somehow come across you know one of the seven or the nine or one of the three, which wouldn't have happened, of course, but if he had, presumably he could have sustained his life indefinitely with one of those as well, not just the One Ring. So that's the general powers. Specifically, though, the three elven rings are, according to Elrond in the Council of Elrond chapter, made essentially for the purpose of making, understanding, and preserving things unstained. It's basically, for elves, a way of attaining something of the undying nature of Valinor in the more mortal-oriented realm of Middle-earth. So they have that characteristic. The only other real hint that we get at what the three elven rings can do comes from a reference to what Círdan the shipwright tells Gandalf whenever he gives him the ring Narya. And he says that it will help him to kindle hope in others and to sustain him in his journey. Now, when he says Kindle, it's interesting because the Ring Narya, of course, is the Ring of Fire, and so the question is is he making a a very connected reference to that specific ring, that it has that specific power, or is it just a reference to the fact that Gandalf is already kind of leaning that way and the ring will help him enhance that? It's not really 100% clear and it's never explained in more detail, but there's at least hints there. So that's the three elven rings. The seven dwarven rings, very little is actually directly said about them, or the nine rings for that matter. The only thing that I can think of in all of the lore that is anything like specific is the fact that it says somewhere that at the foundation of each of the seven dwarf hordes of gold is a dwarven ring. So we know from that that the dwarven rings are in some way connected with the ability to gather and accumulate wealth. Probably also increase the greed of the wearer, because you tend to find that in the Dwarf Lords. And, of course, the irony of that is the accumulation of the wealth is what brings about the destruction of those hordes by dragons, because, as I mentioned before, dragons destroyed four of the seven rings, or... I say destroyed, consumed is the word used. Again, going back to Gandalf's comment about whether the dragons maybe could destroy rings. Consumed may mean melted, may mean swallowed. Who knows? And of course, three were obtained by Sauron. So we know that the the actual accumulation of wealth is what brought about the loss of basically over half of the Dwarven rings. So that's the Dwarven rings. The nine... We really don't have any solid information that I can think of. There's, There may be something hidden away in a corner of Tolkien's letters or maybe some of the other lore that I just haven't read recently because the ring lore is kind of scattered, but I, I can't find anything very specific about the nine rings. Presumably they enhance the powers of the wearer because the ring rates, of course, are in some ways stronger and more fearsome than they would otherwise be, and maybe the fact that they inspire terror is a hint at what the the Nine Rings actually do in terms of granting powers to the wearer. It may also just be because they're servants of Sauron. Who knows? I'm just speculating on that point. As far as the One Ring, of course, it has several unique powers that are all its own, some of which are similar, some of which are very different the ones that are kinda similar, or at least the only one really that's similar, Elrond says in the Council of Elrond chapter in The Lord of the Rings that the desire of it corrupts the heart. That kinda echoes the idea that Gandalf mentioned about all the rings, which is that the Keeper doesn't want to give it up. So there's a little bit of a link there, but Gandalf never says that the other rings corrupt and of course we have to assume that that's not true of the Elven Rings, which were created purely by the elves, and Sauron never had any hand in making them or anything like that. So, similar but different. Then, of course, the main purpose for which the ring was designed was to dominate the other rings to be able to control or destroy whatever they accomplish, and Sauron, of course, makes the ring for that purpose. That's why he goes through the entire charade of teaching the elves how to make these rings in the first place. Unfortunately for him, when he puts the ring on, he finds out that apparently the elves can perceive that he's wearing the One Ring while they're wearing their rings, so the side effect of being able to control or, or dominate the other rings is sort of a telepathic link as well, or at least something like that. So, they, he when the elves realize that Sauron has put his ring on, they take theirs off, and Sauron realizes that his plan isn't quite going according to his hope, And that's when he kind of sets off his initial war in the Second Age. So, and the other interesting aspect to that, too, is the fact that even though the ring, the one ring, is meant to to either destroy or dominate everything the other rings do, he found he could never really subdue the dwarves. The dwarves are apparently so solid and stubborn in their very nature that he couldn't force them to submit so that's why you end up with four of the rings just being destroyed by dragons and three of them Sauron just ends up collecting for himself so that's kind of the main point of the ring but the last and most interesting aspect of the link between the one ring and the other great rings is of course what ends up coming to pass at the after the destruction of the one ring which is all the other rings kind of lose their potency they don't really do anything anymore Now, at that point, we're really only talking about the three elven rings because the Nazgûl, they're destroyed. We don't even know where the nine rings are. Possibly they were destroyed in the fall of Barad-dûr. The dwarven rings Sauron had, or they had been consumed by dragons, so really the only things left were the elven rings. And Elrond, again in the Council of Elrond chapter, says what he's afraid of is that once the one ring passes away, everything that the other rings have been used to to make will be brought to naught. He says some people think that they might still be able to use those rings after the One Ring is destroyed, but he fears the reverse, and he turns out to be correct. Once the One Ring passes away, the three elven rings no longer do what they had been doing, and that's why at the end of the novel you see Elrond and Galadriel, as well as Gandalf, passing into the west, because they can no longer maintain Rivendell and Lothlorien, in their pristine Volanor-like state of timelessness and eternal beauty and everything else that just kind of magical that goes along with those areas. So that's the last element of the One Ring. There's probably other aspects of the One Ring that you could talk about as well, but those are the main things that make it unique. So I'll just go ahead and stop there. So that is the Rings of Power. We've talked about their history, their general description, to the extent that we know anything, and their general powers, again, to the extent that we know anything. If I have missed anything in the lore, like I mentioned earlier, most of the information is kind of condensed in the Unfinished Tales and Lord of the Rings, and that end section of the Silmarillion, but there's probably some other stuff out there that I'm not remembering, so if anybody can point to any of that in the comments, that would be nice. If you did like the video, please do give it a thumbs up and uh, share the video around. If you'd like to learn more about Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth, or even non-Middle Earth related things related to Tolkien, then please subscribe to the channel, or you can follow me on Twitter at JRRTLore. Until the next time, this is the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namaste.